Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, a history of the Thirty Years' War. Last week, I covered the Protestant Paladins and a few notable members. This week, we'll get to see them tested in battle and see how well they do. So without further ado, let's get started. So the war had moved to western and northern Germany, which was away from Habsburg land, which meant that the Habsburgs had a harder time justifying and getting involved. Because before, this was their claims in their lands, so they could easily claim to need to defend it. But once it was out of their lands, they had to have proxy forces do it for them. The Habsburg forces were also focused at Bethlehem at that point, which also meant the war in the west had to be left to other forces. There were around 10,000 Spanish troops in the Lower Palatine, with forces having to be drawn away to fight against the starting of the fighting with the Dutch. They were there really to secure the western part of the Rhine, and not really to advance into Germany. Spain didn't have the will or interest to keep fighting for the Austrian Habsburgs. And just as a little uh, forward and just summary, over a period of a couple of years leading up to 1624, the Spanish gained the upper hand in the war against the Dutch, but they used their expanded territory to maintain control over the Dutch rather than get involved in the imperial politics of the HRE. So they weren't really a big help for the most part. They will get involved in this episode, but that was not very common during the Thirty Years' War, at least at this phase of the war. Because the Spanish were not willing to assist, because the Spanish were not willing to assist, Ferdinand was forced to rely on the Catholic League to supply their troops. Reminder, the Catholic League were the forces of Maximilian and Tilly from the White Mountain episodes. Maximilian wanted to do the situation in Palatine and claim it for himself as an electorate as a reward for his assistance earlier in the war. Reminder, he was a very ambitious man and wanted to expand his holdings. He did still need official permission to act, so the emperor still had some control over the situation to allow him to join in or not. Maximilian was officially allowed to attack into Palatine on July 9th, 1621, and Tilly was allowed permission to apprehend Mansfield, who was currently an outlaw at this point, in November of the same year. Around several thousand Bavarians were left behind to hold Upper Austria, and more men stayed behind in the Upper Palatine as the campaign progressed, so the numbers would steadily decrease as time went on. Tilly personally relied more on other League's members for his troops than his own forces, the Bavarians. So Maximilian was technically the overall commander of this campaign, but Tilly and Maximilian ran their own armies during this part of the war. They're both occupied doing different things, which for a divided enemy is not a a bad idea. Not important necessarily in this episode, but will be relevant later, was Ferdinand of Cologne gathered on 12,000 men, which included elements of Tilly's second-in-command, Count Anhalt. These men would become an independent army under the Westphalian forces, And they would come into play as veteran Catholic troops during the rest of this war. So I may not mention them specifically in some episodes, or I may. But keep in mind, they were relevant later in the war. Just keep that in the back of your head. So as the campaign progressed, both sides realized the Protestants, led by Mansfield, had less resources than Tilly. He was still in a good defensive position, and he was a difficult opponent for Tilly to deal with. Considering, I mentioned last time, he was a skilled tactical and strategic commander. Unfortunately for Mansfield, he had failed to break north to join Jägerndorf in early 1621, so he had entrenched his 13,000 men at White House, which was on the Nuremberg to Pilsen Road. He also positioned around 2,000 men at Cham and Amberg to guard his rear. 
Tilly himself at this point had around 18,000 men made up of League troops and Imperial troops that were positioned across the pass at Rosshaupt, which was just across the way from each other, a couple miles at most. Both armies shelled and assaulted each other for months, and surprisingly, Tilly was actually in a weaker position due to Maximilian pulling the best troops from his army to make a veteran army of his own, meaning Tilly had to rely on militia, which didn't do well in the prolonged fighting due to them being easier to break and rout, and they were just less skilled as a whole. Maximilian broke the stalemate with an army of around 14,000 men, and he took Chom from Mansfield in September 1621 with the intent to trap Mansfield between the two armies. Unfortunately for both Tilly and Maximilian, Mansfield broke out of the potential encirclement one night and headed to Neumarkt, but he was forced from that position by October when Tilly and Maximilian joined forces leading a larger army. He headed west by October 9th through Nuremberg to Mannheim, leaving a good part of his army to rejoin him in small numbers, which left him with an effective force of 7,000 by the end of that. This failure to capture Mansfield actually was an embarrassment to Tilly, but Maximilian did use it to occupy Upper Palatine, mainly as a counterbalance to the Spanish rather than any form of holding against the the Paladins. He wanted to capture Heidelberg, which was traditionally the seat of the Elector of the Palatine, to assert his authority more and show the reality of the situation. However, he did let Tilly continue to chase Mansfield while he was content with occupying the area. Mansfield, during his retreat, focused on, on pillaging Lower Alsace, but had abandoned that as Tilly continued to chase him. The main League forces had been reduced to around 12,000 men by this point due to desertion and disease, meaning they were unable to take fortresses like Mannheim and Heidelberg on both Maximilian and Tilly's front. Disease and desertion is brutal in an army, especially in this time period. A lot of men would just walk off and you wouldn't know. Another blow to the Imperial cause was the Spanish were unable to take Frankenthal from the British attachments that were garrisoned there, meaning there was very little progress against the Protestants that the Catholics would report. The inability for the Catholics to take these fortresses actually encouraged many people on the fence or hiding their allegiance to throw in support for Frederick and the Paladins. By the way, sounds like a cool band name, honestly. Frederick actually traveled through France incognito to, to join Mansfield at Germersheim, which showed that he felt confident enough with their odds to show his face publicly and in potential lands where he could get captured. Duke Christian, which is Christian of Brunswick, which I covered last week, kicked Imperial garrisons out of Lipstadt, which was, fortif- which was fortified by Dutch engineers into a fortress that was not fun to take, although he was still trapped and couldn't break out of it. They were in a better position than they were before. He did also begin raiding into Paderborn, which he got enough wealth from church property to raise around 10,000 men. Again, raiding churches is going to become a common thing in this war, considering if you guys know anything about Catholic churches, they're full of wealthy, valuable objects and just decorations and the like. This put Tilly in a hard situation because he had to fight potentially three paladins before they combined their armies. There's a third commander, who I'll mention later, who was also had an army. But as a commander, you do not want to engage a force that potentially outnumbers you as a whole. Because 3v1, and if they combine to one army, they could have 30,000, 40,000 men. And that was not in Tilly's favor, even though he had around 20,000 men with new recruits that came to reinforce his army. Probably the recruits is they're inexperienced, so you can't rely on them. Frederick and Mansfield began their assault on Tilly's positions in northern Germany at Weisslock. After rampaging through the Bisch Fork of Spare, but found his position was too difficult to crack and began to retreat from that to formulate a better plan. Tilly surprisingly took advantage of this and he pounced on the retreating forces, sending out his army to engage them. Tilly had around 3,000 less men than Mansfield's, but he caught them in a, in a position where they were trying to cross a swollen stream. 
The Protestant cavalry was then forced to do a rearguard action to hold off the vanguard of Tilly's army, but the sudden attack left the army chaotic and disorderly with discipline breaking down. Men were trying to rush across bridges, a lot of wagons were left behind, supplies were left behind. The battle eventually evened out with Mansfield rallying the troops, and he commanded a cavalry attack from men that he kept hidden behind some hills which led to them pushing back Tilly's forces to Minglesham, where they were stopped by veteran league troops. Mansfield's forces continued to hold out until around dusk, when the rest of the army had retreated, and Mansfield called off his cavalry, which left Mansfield down around 400 men, and Tilly lost around 2,000 men in that assault. Unfortunately for Mansfield, even though he lost less men, discipline was much worse in his army than it was in Tilly's army. It was not a good sign, even if you have more numbers. If a side has more veteran troops, it's usually a benefit in their favor. So that first skirmish had effectively been a draw strategically, but overall it still did weigh in the paladin's favor, especially with a couple thousand more men coming in as reinforcements. And that gave Mansfield and Frederick around 30,000 men. And the battle we're going to cover today, the Battle of Wimpfen, was not fought by Mansfield, but by one of the paladins called George Friedrich, who was engaged in a battle on May 5th, 1622. This is one of the smaller, lesser-known battles, considering it was sort of in between a war and the war had sort of been over, effectively. But it showed that there was still resistance, as, as I will cover now. Tilly took a defensive position around the wooded hills south of Wimpfen on May 5th, 1622. He was also joined by the Spanish, and between the two of them, they had around nearest 20,000 men. The Spanish commander took a position on the right due to him being the follower of a king, which in European circles was a more prestigious position. And the right wing was historically European. It was the where you put your best troops. That's where you wanted to break through their lines. Until he held the left side of the battlefields. Keep in mind, there was no center. It was basically both the right side and the left side of the battlefields. Until he held the left and the Spanish held the right. Until his men were, were given time to rest and eat plenty of food before the battle, which meant they were well-rested for the upcoming battle. George Friedrich had around 12,700 men from the what would be the larger army mentioned earlier, along with other recruits that came in. His army was positioned in an area that formed a right angle by the Neckar and the marshy Bollinger Stream, with the woods to his left, and to his right was the village of Oder Eisenheim. His army covered their front with wagons that had small cannons and other ranged units in them in order to protect their other infantry, which was drawn up behind them. This position, while good defensively, was bad because if they had lost, they would be in a not great position to retreat. It would be easier for them to get cut down. The Battle of Wimfend opened with the general advance by the Imperials at 11 a.m., but they fell back under a heavy assault. The Imperials couldn't really push into the lines at that point, so Friedrich, under this assumption that he would have time to rest and recuperate, broke for lunch and recalled a number of the outposts on his further flanks, which included the men in the woods that he was holding against the Spanish. Unfortunately for him, the Spanish took advantage of that and placed their musketeers there. This opened the next part of the battle, where George sent forces to attempt to retake the woods, while at the same time sent a surprise cavalry attack from the village. The cavalry attack was covered by smoke from earlier in the battle, and they actually quickly broke the Imperial lines, and they captured the artillery that were placed on the hill. They were stopped there, at least, by a, a unit called the Schmidt Regiment, who was a an elite regiment of pikemen, who held off the cavalry by making a defensive hedgehog with pikes poking at all directions, 
Romans, so they couldn't get into theirs. Many cavalry, seeing that they couldn't break through that, or just drawn on by loot or the high of victory, broke off from a cohesive assault and started falling back to attack other forces or just wandering around that regiment trying to get into there. So effectively, the, the cavalry had collapsed, or the cohesion of the cavalry had collapsed, which... That's a bad sign on the battlefields. A good historical example I have of that is a proponent of the Mongols under Genghis Khan was loot was not to be gathered until after a battle was finished. So the enemy couldn't like attack your men when they had thought they had won so they would just get off horses and gather loot. Because sometimes just because the enemy's retreating now doesn't mean they're going to they're gonna keep retreating. Sometimes they'll realize, hey, they're distracted. We're going to attack them. So this was a bad move, but unfortunately the discipline of the Protestants was not great. On another part of the battlefields, the Protestants were not doing well. The musketeers that had taken the forests had moved their way to threaten the rear of George's line, seeing as they had not been repulsed from the woods. And the veteran troops of the Catholic League and the Spanish weighed against George, who experienced a major frontline assault around 7 p.m. by the Catholic League. At some point during that time period, some black powder supplies exploded in the rear of the Paladin lines, which created confusion in this apocryphal image of a white-robed woman encouraging the Catholics to victory. Some units, like Baden militia units, held up for longer, but by 9 p.m. all resistance had ceased. The final assault had cost the Catholics around 1,800 men, but the Protestants were devastated by this victory. A quarter of the Protestant men had, were captured or killed, half had dispersed, and only around 3,000 retreated successfully back to Mansfield. So effectively, Tilly had taken out a third or a good chunk of the Protestant forces without too many casualties. He effectively practiced what is divide and conquer. If you're facing an enemy that has more forces than you, but they're all divided, you can, if taking them on one by one is easier than taking them on as a cohesive whole. Because if you can pick off two armies out of three, you're suddenly facing a much better odds, or even one army out of three. That's, you know, 10,000 less money you have to fight. I will actually post a picture of this on my website for my book. They actually have a good map of this battle. This battle was all in all a bad blow to what was potentially promising Protestant campaign against the Catholics. It also showed what having veteran troops and more solid backing can do against an army that's larger than you. Thank you for listening in. Next week, we have a few more battles to cover. The social media links, including my website and Facebook, will be in the description. And you can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. I have a Patreon if you wish to support me. And please spread the word. Tell your friends. Tell anyone who's interested in this time period. And I'd love to see you guys' feedback. See you guys next time with more battles.